Hello everyone and welcome to the January 1st edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. Happy New Year. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that the WCAB orders granting reconsideration issued more than 60 days after a petition for reconsideration is filed are void. In this case, Carlos Uribe was in, injured in September 2010 while working for Excel Mechanical Systems, and he filed a workers' compensation claim. Excel was insured by Reliance Insurance, who was subsequently declared insolvent and placed in liquidation, so SEGA, California Insurance Guarantee Association, assumed administration of the claim. Nearly 20 years after Uribe's injury, SEGA petitioned to join Zurich Insurance in the case based upon a WCIRB report showing coverage for Excel, and Zurich was indeed joined as a party. But they denied liability, so the carriers arbitrated the issue of Zurich's liability, and the arbitrator ruled against SEGA. SEGA filed a petition for reconsideration with the board of the arbitrator's ruling in August 2021. And slightly more than 60 days later, Zurich requested that the board dismiss it from the proceeding since the WCAB had not ruled on the petition for reconsideration yet. And thus, they said the arbitrator's decision had become final and SEGA did not file a timely petition for review in the Court of Appeal. SEGA submitted a reply brief in which it argued the board retained jurisdiction over SEGA's petition for reconsideration because the petition had not been forwarded to the board's reconsideration unit until a month and a half after SEGA filed its petition for recon. The board failed to act again until more than nine months had passed since SEGA's petition for reconsideration was filed. Finally, the board issued an order granting the petition for reconsideration for purposes of allowing an opportunity for further study of the factual and legal issues, what is known as a grant for study order. Zurich filed a petition for writ of mandate in the Court of Appeal requesting an order directing the board to dismiss Zurich as a defendant. And the Court of Appeal agreed with Zurich in the published case of Zurich American Insurance Company versus the WCAB. Under Labor Code Section 5909, the last day for the board to act on Sega's petition for reconsideration was the first business day 60 days after reconsideration was requested. The Court of Appeal concluded that Section 5909 of the Labor Code divests the Board of Jurisdiction to consider a deemed denied petition for reconsideration after the 60 days has passed. And the administrative process is at that point final. And the petitioner has 45 days under Section 5950 in which to seek a writ of review by the Court of Appeal. And in another Court of Appeal employment law decision, it was held that an employer's excess insurance policies may cover a whistleblower's lawsuit. 
This case involves six officers in the Whittier Police Department who filed a complaint against the city of Whittier, alleging the police department instituted an unlawful citation and arrest quota on its officers as a means of determining a benchmark for performance and that the department retaliated against those officers who reported or refused to comply with the unlawful quota. The city notified Everest National Insurance Company and Star Indemnity and Liability Company about the lawsuit, advising that the plaintiff sought damages exceeding $1 million and there was a potential for coverage under the insurer's excess insurance policies. Prior to trial, the city council notified the insurers of an upcoming mediation session and demanded that they attend. Everest and Star's Coverage Council attended the mediation at which the city negotiated a settlement with the plaintiffs and agreed to pay $3 million to resolve the action. But neither Everest nor Star consented to the settlement. The city then went ahead and paid the $3 million and the action by the police officers never went to trial or resulted in a judgment. And the insurers continued to deny the request for indemnity from the carriers. So the city filed a civil action against them for declaratory relief, breach of contract, and bad faith. The insurers then each moved for summary judgment, and the city moved for summary judgment as well. An agreed-upon referee found no triable issue existed as to whether the insurers owed the city indemnification of the Rivera settlement, reasoning that the law prohibits coverage for loss caused by an insured's willful act, and the trial court adopted the referee's decision as its own, denying the city a remedy. But the Court of Appeal reversed as to Everest in the partially published case of City of Whittier versus Everest National Insurance Company. It said that this appeal presents a question of first impression, whether the Insurance Code Section 533, under which an insurer is not liable for a loss caused by the willful act of the insured, bars indemnification for claims by the police officers under Labor Code Section 1102.5, which prohibits retaliation against employees for reporting activity they have reasonable cause to believe is unlawful, or for refusing to participate in activity that actually is unlawful, a law that reflects a fundamental public policy of denying coverage for willful wrongs and discouraging willful torts. However, the Court of Appeal found no case in California or elsewhere addressing whether Section 533 bars coverage of claims under Labor Code 1102.5. So the Court of Appeal went on to conclude that not all Labor Code Section 1102.5 claims involve necessarily willful conduct, but rather some involve conduct more akin to negligence. Therefore, the trial court was incorrect when it found to the contrary in granting summary judgment in favor of Everest and Starr. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has vacated its prior decision on AB5 and now granted an 
Bonk rehearing of a very controversial issue. This occurred in the case of Olson versus California, which was previously decided by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in Uber, Postmates, and a number of other Uber drivers challenged the constitutionality of Assembly Bill 5, the California law that redefined many app-based workers as employees instead of independent contractors. These plaintiffs argued that AB 5 violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment by creating an exemption for certain app-based businesses like errand running and dog walking, while not exempting ride-sharing and delivery drivers. The trial court denied a preliminary injunction and the plaintiffs appealed. The Ninth Circuit panel held that the plaintiffs plausibly alleged that AB 5 violated the Equal Protection Clause for those engaged in app-based ride-hailing and delivery services, and also plausibly alleged that the primary impetus for the enactment of AB 5 was the disfavor with which the architect of the legislation, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, viewed Uber, Postmates, and similar gig-based business models. Additionally, it ruled that the plaintiffs plausibly alleged that their exclusion from the wide-ranging exemptions, including uh, for comparable app-based gig companies, could be attributed to animus rather than reason. The Ninth Circuit panel therefore remanded the case for the district court to reconsider plaintiff's motion for a preliminary injunction. Now, the Attorney General of California filed for a petition of rehearing of that decision and argued that the decision was a highly unusual departure from the court's consistent practice of affording states wide latitude in managing their economies. Court docket entries show a flurry of amicus briefs were then filed by various interest groups arguing positions supporting the petition for rehearing, including many other states. So on December 18th, the Court of Appeals granted the petition for rehearing upon a vote of the majority of non-recused active judges. And it was ordered that this case be reheard on banc and that the three-judge panel decision was vacated. En banc oral argument will take place during the week of March 18, 2024 in San Francisco, California, and the exact date and time will be announced by separate order. The Civil Rights Department announced reaching an approximate $54 million settlement agreement to resolve allegations that Activision Blizzard discriminated against women at their company. Activision Blizzard is a video game company known for many popular video game franchises played around the world, including Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Guitar Hero and Diablo. Under the agreement, which is subject to court approval, the employer will take additional steps to help ensure fair play and promotion practices at their company and provide monetary relief to women who were employees or contract workers in California between October 2015 and December 2020. 
The new announcement is in addition to measures Activision Blizzard has implemented through a separate 2021 consent decree with the U.S. EEOC. If approved by the court, the settlement agreement will require Activision to pay about $54,875,000 to cover direct relief to the workers and litigation costs and retain an independent consultant to evaluate and make recommendations regarding Activision Blizzard's compensation and promotion practices and training materials. And now our crime report. Moses Luna has been practicing workers' compensation law in California for roughly half a century. In 2021, he was charged with 22 felony counts of insurance fraud, and the district attorney presented evidence at the preliminary hearings that Mr. Luna opened a side business called Adelante Interpreters, and he controlled and ran the business, but he listed his daughters as its acting officers on the incorporation documents. When Luna's legal clients needed interpreter services in connection with their workers' compensation claims, he invariably enlisted Adelante for those services, and Adelante then made insurance claims for the cost of those services, and it received payments totaling over $100,000 from 22 different workers' compensation insurance carriers. Luna filed a Penal Code Section 995 notion to dismiss the information and charges against him and argued that the Williamson Rule barred his felony prosecution under Penal Code Section 550b-3 because his alleged misconduct is also specifically addressed in Labor Code Section 139.32 which makes it a misdemeanor for workers' compensation attorneys to refer clients to a business in which they have a financial interest. And he also argued that dismissal was warranted because the labor code section was unconstitutionally vague. The trial court agreed that the Williamson rule precluded Luna's felony prosecution under the penal code, a felony, but rejected his vagueness argument as to the labor code violation a misdemeanor. However, the trial court later dismissed the case altogether, and the Court of Appeal affirmed the trial court dismissal in the unpublished case of People v. Luna. This appeal turns on the applicability of the Williamson Rule, which precludes criminal prosecutions under a general statute if there is a more specific statute that applies to the defendant's conduct. The general statute at issue here is Penal Code 550b3, which makes it unlawful for any person to conceal or knowingly fail to disclose the event that affects any person's initial or continued right or entitlement to any insurance benefit or payment. And the special statute at issue here is Labor Code 139.32, which requires parties in a workers' compensation case to disclose any financial interest they have in an entity that provides services to an injured worker. Thus, the Williamson Rule precludes the prosecution from charging Mr. Luna pursuant to the Penal Code a felony. 
And the Court of Appeal went on to say that the statute must give fair notice of the conduct prescribed and be sufficiently definite to prevent arbitrary and discriminatory enforcement in order to satisfy due process requirements. And the Court of Appeal agreed with Luna that Subdivision B of Section 139.32 is unconstitutionally vague and fails to provide reasonable notice of what it entails. So it concluded it is too vague to enforce Mr. Luna in this case should the district attorney choose to refile. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of California announced that Philips Respionics, a manufacturer of DME equipment, has paid in excess of $2.4 million to resolve allegations that it gave illegal kickbacks to sleep laboratories. The settlement resolves allegations that Philips provided sleep labs with free masks used to treat and diagnose sleep-related respiratory disorders to induce these lab physicians to write referrals or prescriptions for Respirionics brand masks that suppliers would fill and bill to federal health care programs. The kickback allegations are separate from the ongoing issues surrounding the recall of millions of Philips CPAP machines initiated in June 2021 due to concerns about a toxic sound abatement foam. Multiple of these lawsuits have been filed against Philips in the U.S. and other countries, alleging negligence and harm caused by the defective devices. Last September, Philips agreed to a partial $479 million settlement to compensate U.S. patients for financial damages related to the recall. And bellwether trials are intended to set precedents for future lawsuits they are now expected to begin in 2025. A federal grand jury indicted Jasbir Thandi and Sandeep Shahota and Jaspreet Pada with insurance fraud crimes related to the collapse of a global hawk risk retention group, an insurance company headquartered in Livermore, California. Global Hawk's primary business was providing automobile liability insurance coverage for truck drivers and small trucking companies. According to the indictment, Thandi was the president and treasurer of Global Hawk and misappropriated over $19 million in Global Hawk funds. Thandi Shahota, a resident of Concord, and Panda, a resident of Elk Grove, California, allegedly submitted fraudulent financial statements to insurance regulators that overstated Global Hawk's assets by tens of millions of dollars and concealed the misappropriations. Shahoda was Global Hawk's vice president and secretary, and Pada was the company's outside investment advisor. After regulators discovered the misappropriation and Global Hawk's insolvency, Global Hawk was declared insolvent and was liquidated pursuant to a court order. And in other industry news, retired workers' compensation judge David William Billy O'Brien 
died peacefully on December 15th at 95 years of age, leaving behind a tapestry of memories woven through his remarkable life. He was raised in a humble New Hampshire town, and his professional journey began at Plymouth Teachers College in 1950, followed by honorable service in the Korean War's United States Army Counterintelligence Corps, a testament to his devotion to duty and his country. In 1960, his pursuit of knowledge led him to graduate from the University of San Francisco with a law degree, and his legal acumen flourished, establishing him as a distinguished figure in workers' compensation law. For decades, he served as a respected judge, author, and scholar, leaving an indelible imprint on the legal landscape. Beyond his professional achievements, David's magnetic storytelling illuminated every gathering, endearing him to all who crossed his path, as his warmth, wisdom, and boundless humor resonated with friends, family, and acquaintances. David is survived by his cherished family, many colleagues, and the many friends he made in his life. Professionally, he was a member of the California and New Hampshire Bars and was admitted to the U.S. District Courts of New Hampshire and California. He served as a workers' compensation judge with the California Workers' Compensation Appeals Board, as an administrative law judge with the California Unemployment Insurance Appeals Board, and as a deputy commissioner of corporations for the state of California, and as a senior counsel for the State Compensation Insurance Fund and has also devoted many years to the private practice of law as both a defense and plaintiff attorney. At 95, he was actively engaged as a partner with the firm of Floyd Scarin Manukian Langevin at its Westlake Village office. Judge O'Brien is the author of the textbook California Workers' Compensation Claims and Benefits and a second treatise, California Unemployment, Disability, and Paid Family Leave Insurance Programs. Both of these texts are available by subscription at judgeobrien.com. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I am Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.